0: Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip and commentary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
1: Check out my new show, Nicola Talent presents Getting Away With Murder, live at Liberty Hall on September 20th, brought to you by MCD. Tickets on sale at ticketmaster.ie.
0: As the explosion of drug culture around Ireland started to, to emerge in the 2000s, you had these guys who had rural patches. All of a sudden, these guys were selling coke and ecstasy and all that stuff and making big money they also brought a a degree of of violence. Violence, Patrick Aaron was one of the first to really come to to prominence. I'm Nicola
1: Tallent and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. Cocaine cowboy Patrick Irwin is being hunted after he assaulted a lawyer in a Midlands town and stole his Porsche car from outside a bar. The convicted criminal has already served time for assaulting a Garda, who he viciously punched during a search of his car while on bail for serious drug offences. Once a powerful gang boss who controlled Ireland's northwest drug turf from his hometown of Sligo, Irwin is now on borrowed time, running scared from Gardaí and his enemies. Today I'm talking with Sunday World Deputy Editor Niall Donald about Irwin and his rise and fall. And we consider the treatment of those who lash out at people working in the criminal justice system and whether their sentencing reflects their crimes. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. We're back (laughs)
0: after holidays. Mm. How'd you get on? It was great. It was great to get away. And, uh, you know, yeah, I got the, you're you're experiencing the back to school feeling. I haven't felt that like since. I'm kind of uh, depressed. Well talking to me now surely will raise your spirits but <laughs> no but uh, yeah I haven't felt that since it was, it's like remembering the Leaving Cert all them years ago yeah where you all of a sudden reality strikes yeah I saw um, a big group of people doing yoga down at, along
1: the seafront there the other night that's real kind of you know back in yeah. September lose a bit of weight yeah get rid of the summer back to reality and back to
0: reality so back here to, we are back to uh, to. Crime and misery, to some extent. Back to crime.
1: And it has, despite everybody taking summer holidays, of course, some of our friends have been busily keeping the SundayWorld.com busy. Yes. And many of our journalists have been working while we have been holidaying. But um, Patrick Irwin, I mean, a blast from the past in many ways, but he has been around. I've been writing about him since way back. I mean, 2008,
0: 2009. She yeah, age. I mean, I suppose Patrick Irwin was one of these first uh, big rural crime lords. Really, I mean, obviously, you know, the history of 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 organized crime has really been focused in Dublin and to allow, you know, obviously to Limerick as well to some extent. But you know, as the explosion of drug culture around Ireland started to to emerge in the two thousands, you had these kind of guys who had rural patches and you know, where before certain parts of Ireland you might have got an odd bit of hash for sale. All of a sudden these guys are selling coke and ecstasy and all that stuff and making big money. And Patrick Earham was one of the first to really come to to prominence. Um, He was a major supplier of of drugs in in Sligo and the surrounding counties. Um, He probably... Shot to attention more than anything because he he'd forged uh, uh, ties with what was Eamon Dunne's uh, the Don as he was known uh, the 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 Finglas based criminal he Patrick Egan had forged ties with mm-hmm. that that kind of gang um also some some other people that that had been associated with sort of crime in West Dublin and he he really uh, seemed to have found a little patch for himself and became. Uh, probably one of the the larger sort of regional suppliers in, in the country. That's kind of like curious to that
1: time if you look at it where the rural groups while they might be big in their own small hometown once they start making the connections with those Dublin gangs getting the supplies sort of almost you know becoming franchises nearly of them and you see the explosion then of drugs sort of I suppose between 2000 and you know, three into 2011 when he was jailed, you know, for um, cocaine smuggling. But I mean, the area of Sligo and that northwest region became a very significant drug turf. I mean, the Irwins, um, you know, at one point, they controlled Sligo, Leitrim, Mayo, Roscommon and Donegal. Um, But started out in a row with another gang in in the area, um, a traveller gang from memory and was also once, the gang was also once headed up by Patrick Irwin's brother, Huey. But he was, he survived an assassination bid and he kind of moved out to Lanzarote um, and based himself there and at that point Patrick, the younger brother, kind of took over. Um, so, what's happened? Bring us up to date with, he's only recently out of prison and we have been keeping a watching brief on him but... Yeah,
0: I mean, uh, I suppose the Irwins became the, the the number one gang in that area, but Patrick Irwin subsequently went to prison. Um, and that there, another a rival gang, uh, seems to have become one of the really taken over. Um, and that gang is led by a man who we can't name, but they again, forged very strong ties and, and, and connections with, with, uh, a Dublin criminal in particular a Dublin criminal known as Mr Big um, and they seem to have taken over from the Irwins. um so patrick Irwin spent a long time in castle ray where he, you know he his some of his associates were believed to control the drug trade but once he came out of prison um maybe uh the 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 his position had been undermined um and in 2019, he was given a Jim a, a Former Guard information message warning his, his life was under threat and he survived uh, a botched assassination attempt. Since then, he seems to have not been based in Sligo for the most part. Um, he's moving between the North, Dublin, County Mead as well, we hear. Um, maybe, uh, you know, the the the, the rival gang have, have really shot the prominence and his mm. his... Position as unassailable in 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 Sligo and that part of the country has has dropped down. So we hadn't really heard much of him over the last uh, since COVID and um, since the assassination attempt. He definitely hadn't been in Sligo in the in mm. the way he was, where he'd really been concentrating in an area and people were really, you know, aware of you know these were the big shots and stuff. But uh, he popped up um, earlier this month. Not a bizarre incident, maybe, but a really—he uh, seems to have a, a colourful incident. Mm. Put it that way. Obviously, there's a victim of of this as well, but he's been in. Uh, he seems to have developed a grudge against a particular legal professional. Let's put it uh, that way. The grudge seems to have been over a period of time. He seems to have been uh, demanding money that he believed he he. he Without. Was isn't, is owed now? Yeah. There's no suggestion this this legal professional has could owe a criminal money. No, or or you know has behaved in any way uh, inappropriately. But this is these these are this is the way these guys are. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you see it constantly uh, people deciding somebody owes them a debt and then proceeding yeah. to collect it on the basis of almost nothing. So he seems to have become aware this solicitor was in 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 a pub, in a hotel in, in Offaly in a pub in in Offaly and uh, followed him into the pub, assaulted him and demanded money when obviously nobody's going around carrying big wedges of cash and instead took the solicitor's Porsche and left the scene in the Porsche. Um, So that, that I think, was... uh, That's pretty crazy. It sounds like something off the... The TV and yeah. where's the Porsche? Well, the Porsche is uh, as of as as far as we know, is it? Nothing. It hasn't been recovered. Um, you know, there was a sort of a. Obviously, Patrick Irwin has not been in his base in Sligo, so he seems to be moving around in between houses. So, possibly gone up north. Possibly gone up north, but I mean, this is um, you know, Patrick Irwin, of course, was 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 always a violent criminal and one of the things he was convicted of was he was involved in a vicious attack on a guard at a traffic stop something very uh, you know just a, a random violent attack and i mean that was part, part of the 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 irwin gang were um ruled through a lot of a lot of fear and um, they were one of as i said they were one of the first rural gangs but they also brought a a degree of of violence i suppose mm. you know i mean traditionally there was Drug dealers in rural Ireland, but they tended to be selling hash to people who wanted to buy it. And there wasn't that kind of, that, 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 uh, the gun crime and violence associated with that sort of rural dr- dealing. And they really stepped it up in that way. Um, Do you know what I always noticed
1: about the Irwins? And I mean, it's been a long time now, maybe since I have been properly looking at them, but um, there was there was a kind of chaos to them, this sort of chaotic existence. Um, they always remained where they started from. They never, despite the fact that we were once calling them a drug cartel and they were Sligo's biggest gang and they had, you know, they had hopes and ambitions, I suppose, for for great wealth. They never seemed to totally accumulate or keep it. So they were always uh, the brother Tommy, who was particularly chaotic, and I think he he passed away uh, sadly, in recent years. But he was really, I mean, there was one point he was up on the roof of the house, the family home, which was a, a council home. Um, the house was, at the back of it, there was this kind of like bar built where they used to, you know, certainly Tommy, I think, had become quite paranoid. Along with Huey, the older brother, when he returned from Lanzarote, he returned and kind of bedded into that house and never left it. He was constantly afraid he was going to get shot up or he was going to be attacked. And... Um, But there was a kind of a sense about them that uh, you'd hear these stories and, you know, a lot of them you couldn't nearly write about. I mean, there was certainly an incident recently we did write about where one of them at a family wedding swung from a chandelier in a hotel. But um, Patrick himself was... um, He was kind of known as the sort of king scum of the northwest. when he went to jail. He was only 29 when he did. But he was a womaniser and he at one point had... Uh, built this house in where um which was eventually taken by the Criminal Assets Bureau and sold. It was an absolutely beautiful house. He had spent 450000 on it. He hadn't in a million years hid the fact that he owned it. Um, I think he had put a girlfriend at the time into living in it. Uh, the Criminal Assets Bureau, it was kind of an easy pickings nearly for, for them because the, the Irwins sort of felt they could get away with you know, they weren't organised or something. No, they I think... weren't kind of clever enough, maybe, to hide their money, to hide their wealth. That house, um, while it cost 450000 to build, I think by the time it was sold, it was sold for about ninety or or 100000 um because it wasn't worth what had been put into it, where, where it was, it was, it was, and I re- remember going down at one point, and the... Criminal Assets Bureau had got the you know the the order the court order that the, it was theirs and they were going to sell it and they had given uh, Irwin a certain amount of time to move out I think actually he was in jail and some associates of his had gone in to take his belongings his goods and chattels and they had obviously taken more than that they had removed the kitchen units they had taken the the plumbing with them they had literally stripped the place bare the kitchens wouldn't have been worth anything. They were fitted. They would have only, you know, worked in this particular shape of a kitchen, but still he wanted to. It's that kind of sort of, um, you know, anarchy almost against uh, policing and and probably the, the the system.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was probably unsophisticated criminality, really, and... It was probably something equivalent to what the uh, you know in terms of that l- lack of sophistication that you saw with the dundon McCarthy gang at times mm. in 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 Limerick at, at a similar point. They were these guys were really were kings of their own castle, and they really re- ruled through a kind of fear and intimidation. And uh, it wasn't as sophisticated. They weren't necessarily trying to keep a low profile all the time. Um, they're obviously. Had an explosion of money, though. At some point, um, even if you're talking about those assets, you know these people were living, you know, very, very extravagant lifestyles, just in terms of normal day-to-day spending. So he still accumulated quite a lot of mm. a lot of wealth, but there wasn't the sophistication um, that you that you that you see from other yeah. other criminals. They didn't have that
1: money laundering, no. pro- proper operation set up. There was a couple of kind of. Uh, People that got caught up, though, in the Irwins world that shouldn't naturally have been involved in criminality. I mean, there was one particular girl, Deirdre Moran, um, the daughter, from recall, of a doctor who had had a relationship with with Irwin.
0: Yeah, I mean, partly that's... I mean, he obviously had been written about in The Sunday World for a good few years at that point, but in some ways, um, uh, Deirdre Moran pushed him into the pushed him into the other newspapers, really, yeah. Um, because he obviously was in a, a long-term relationship with another woman, and he had an, uh, another uh, uh, girlfriend, as she described herself, uh, Deirdre Morn. who... So she was the second girlfriend, like? Yes, so she was... um you And know, knew about the other one? Well, I mean, who knows what yeah. people knew, but there, there seems to have been a kind of a, 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 an overlap, let's put it that way. Now, Deirdre Morn was a very, very, you know... Privileged. Privileged girl, mm. very respectable family, highly respectable, um, very attractive looking. Um, but she seems to have been sucked in by I suppose like you know, she's not the first or the last to be sucked in by by um the kind of the, the glamorous mm. side of these things. He wasn't a bad looking fella. But look for him on Facebook and see. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean so she went to, was sent to Dublin. Um, to collect a a, a handgun, um, she subsequently, as far as I recall, said she didn't know what she was collecting, but she knew she was collecting something that was likely to be, mm-hmm. you know, used for for, you know, something to do with his his, his illegal business. However, it was a handgun that she she collected um, from a, 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 a you know one of those gangland contacts in 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 the in in Dublin, basically from. From that Blanchardstown area, and um, she was caught. Um, she received a, a, a lengthy prison sentence, um, and a, it it became a kind of um, mm-hmm. maybe she became a symbol of how, or you know, an example of how people can get sucked into this with devastating consequences. Yeah. Obviously, for her own for her own life. And um, now, in the aftermath of it all, uh, after she she was released, um, she did speak. Very strong, like you know, quite yeah. powerfully, I suppose about about the mistakes she'd made and how she had moved on. And by all accounts, she really did move on and and put that life behind her and became involved in a, a fashion business, as far as I know. Yeah, she thinks she was doing that behind bars. She learned how to make dresses and stuff. And when she came out, she like she used her time. She used her time and and put it put it put it past her. But it it did became something that people maybe looked at and 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 sort of saw it as. You know, these are the the, the the people in the wake of these criminals. Yeah, Their lives tend to be ruined as well. I just noticed there
1: a piece I had written around the time that he was jailed, which would have been in 2011, and he got seven years after being caught with 70,000 of cocaine at the time, and it was only weeks after. And I have one of three devoted girlfriends, so there wasn't just two of them. I, yeah, you stand corrected there.
0: I, okay, well, it's okay. sometimes hard to it keep was up. Three run. women. Yeah,
1: and she was jailed for for gun running for him. Now she was only twenty six at the time, and she got the five year sentence, and that was for attempting to transport a gun between murdered gangster Eamon the Don Don and her boyfriend's gang. Um, yes, you're right. She did say in court that she didn't know what it was she had, but it was in the footwell of the car when she was stopped. And I think her and others in the around the Irwin crew were under surveillance at the time. Um, she wasn't to know. Now, Irwin's sentence at that point was a huge coup for the Guardi in the in the Northwest because he had kind of, and all of the Irwins had sort of given them the two fingers for years. He had been public enemy number one at that stage for a decade, and had been, you know, selling heroin and cocaine around the region. So he'd earlier been caught in, in 2006 with 67,000 worth of cocaine in Common after a surveillance operation had been set up on him. And he was about to do the drugs transaction in an area called Dune when the officer swooped in and caught him in the passenger seat of a Mercedes car with 55,000 in cash and 962 grams of cocaine. Um. Is there a suggestion, I mean, we're going back to 2006 then, and we know that previous to that, they were in the business from really the turn of the century. Is there a suggestion that he's still, you know, forging some sort of a career for himself
0: in in, in the drugs business? Well, he's obviously uh, not averse to beha- misbehaving <laughs> if he's taking people's porches. But, you know, what really what happened was in as he went to prison, there was the rise of this other regional gang as I spoke about, but they became maybe far more significant than the urbanes ever could be. Um, although they had a Sligo base, they really became a much more professional outfit. Mm. Um, you know, and that gang from Sligo were also being linked to the murder of for example Robbie Lawler and mm. um, so the role that they played it seems to be a, that's obviously one of it's still there's people on trial in the north a very complicated murder but that Sligo gang have you um, you know, have become one of the major regional suppliers, maybe throughout the country and in parts of Leinster, parts of parts of Connachtan. They maybe became a more sophisticated operation than the Irwins, who are really strutting their stuff around Sligo. Mm. And 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 you know, you know, some of the Irwin gang would have been involved in beating up drug addicts for small amounts of money. So you see, probably they were replaced by something that the Irwins liked, which is a kind of a more, um, you know, a. Something with a, a longer-term strategy, mm. um, and that's the increasing complexity of of gangland really in Ireland, isn't it? That when they, you know, when some of these guys get get replaced, and you saw it in Limerick when when the the Dundon brothers ended up behind prison, you had the rise of um, the, some of the McCarthy faction that were yeah. really were um, a lot more, uh, you know, money orientated, a lot more desirant of a low lower profile and certainly a more professional uh, gangland outfit what colour is the Porsche do we know I don't know Nicola any so colour any colours, Porsche. any colour is okay when you have a Porsche yeah, I, I, I suppose. Think so I think know. so
1: I have to say I do think though if you're going to bother you know going to the bother of you know, buying one a red one really would have to be the
0: look. You can yeah. As soon as I, anyway, I'll, a solicitor
1: who can afford a Porsche. Good luck to him. Um, look and hopefully that uh, case will is the are the guards investigating? Has there been a complaint made in the case? Do we know? Or? I mean, it's
0: certainly being investigated yeah. by the guards. I don't. Yeah. I'm not aware of. You know, but well, it's, who's given a statement or yeah, whatever. Yeah. But okay. I mean, it is. Yeah. It's
1: now look. It's a bit unusual for a member of the legal profession to be targeted by criminals, but not totally unusual. And I think, you know, when that happens, and along with guards as well, the cases, people working within sort of the world of criminality, be you a guarder a lawyer, a judge, whatever, maybe a journalist, ambulance services, etc. There's this kind of like, you like to see if somebody lashes out and attacks or in any way, you like to see them, sentenced and, and a kind of an example to be made because you have to work with this and and you don't want to be seen as an easy target. Now unfortunately there was a case recently which has angered the guards and I think the, the GRA have come out and condemned it um, a criminal by the name of Gavin Quinn in who savagely attacked a guard, Alan Murphy, who, as I noticed, had, was given a medal for his um, his bravery, a uh, special commemorative medal recently, and is still a guard because a lot of people who are subjected to these kind of attacks just will never work again, really. So he has to be admired for that. But Gavin Quinn and his brother, Lee Quinn, were, uh, just tell us about it, and, and also just to point out that how long Gavin Quinn spent in jail, which is just
0: yeah. So I mean, I think the attacks on professionals. See, we've seen this in other countries. You know, people might think, and they have a, a justifiable thing to say that a, an attack on anybody should should never be treated differently. You know, anybody who's a, a victim, it, it should all be the same. But you have seen in other countries, and we're, for example, and that you the pod, that's featured on Crime World a lot in 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 say in Holland, yeah. where attacks on 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 Police, judiciary solicitors have just become commonplace. Mm. So the state, you know, whatever way you look at it, the state can't tolerate that, or nor should it tolerate attacks on on, on the basic foundation because it's really an attack on, on an attempt to undermine the ability of the justice system to function. Mm. So I mean, I think that's why there's, you know, there was justifiable anger at at what happened with Gavin Quinn, because um, you know he walked free basically 45 days after after you know his final sentence now it served to some of that 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 sentence was backdated to when he went into custody mm. but you know the the original attack was deemed uh, so serious that he was initially charged and his brother were charged with attempted murder now that wasn't followed through that was eventually downgraded by the DPP um, to an assault charge so, the you know, but it was initially... So what
1: happened was Garda Alan Murphy went to the scene of what he thought was an attack on somebody else. Yeah. In uniform or out of it, whatever it was, he was there as a member of the Garda Síochána
0: to protect another member of the public. Which is actually initially to, to attack, to, you know, the, the Queens were in dispute with somebody else and he initially came... With the with the the idea of defending the Quins, right? Yeah, the
1: two the two brothers, Gavin and, and Lee Quinn. So he's there, and he arrives in the course of his job, and he is attacked and so savagely. I have to say, I think the the details of this are just horrendous. He was, he says, pinned to the ground by Gavin Quinn, while Lee Quinn jumped on him and stabbed him. First, tried to stab him. Through this, the the, the, the torso, the abdomen, but he had a stab vest on him. He could feel the knife in that. So then, when he couldn't get him there, he decided to go at his face, and he tried to stab him through the eye.
0: Yeah, like it's horrific, and, you know. And, and he did
1: stab him because, it, in his victim impact statement, he he describes how you know he he thinks of this what happened to him every day, thought he was going to die. It was only members of the, uh, of the fire brigade, the Dublin fire brigade came to his aid. They had obviously were also at the scene and um, they saved him, he says. And he, he actually said in his victim impact statement, I can still feel the twist of the blade
0: as it was, as it was torn from my head. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, these are, you know, lifelong trauma that caused that these mm. things cause i mean there's just no getting a, getting around it and when you see um you know that that Gardy are obviously putting themselves on the line, as many other people do in terms of, you know, uh, ambulance workers and all of that, but there can't be too much tolerance for it. Um, Neither Lee Quinn nor Gavin Quinn could be, by any definition, described as, uh, this couldn't be described as, as, you know, the perfect criminal records. Both of them have significant criminal records, and Gavin Quinn, you know... Would have had he he, it wouldn't have been the first time he'd been in the papers. He would have been well known. He would have associated with what would broadly been he would have been described as one of the young Fat Freddy gang Mm. members. And you know these people have been before the courts repeatedly for for violent attacks. So to to get a two and a half year sentence for something like that does seem genuinely quite shocking. Um, Lee Quinn obviously got a longer sentence, seven years, because he was viewed as as obviously the person who carried carried out the stabbing. However, like there's no debate about the fact that it was, you know, that the two of them we're working together in mm. terms of restraining the guard, and um, obviously because Gavin Quinn didn't have the knife, he got a lesser sentence. And,
1: and Quinn, cl- Gavin Quinn, claimed that he had drank a bottle of whiskey and had taken two grams of coke. That he didn't remember the details of it, but he was able to say that he didn't disable uh, the, the 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 guard of Alan Murphy. You yes. know, he doesn't remember what happened, but he was also claiming that he didn't do he didn't hold him down. So, I mean, I think. Um, that's what was said to the court. Just to explain, so they were first of all going to be charged with attempted murder, which would carry a life sentence. Or which could carry, could a, life carry life a life sentence. Yeah. Of course, yeah, it's not mandatory, but yeah. it, it could carry up to that. But in the background of all these criminal cases that come before the courts is the Director of Public Prosecutions. And it is the Director of Public Prosecutions that makes the decisions on what charges are brought are not brought. Um, the guardy carry out their own investigations and they send what's called a file to the Director of Public Prosecutions and the DPP then decides is there enough evidence here to go forward in trial or whatever. But the two Quinns sort of went to the DPP with essentially what is a bit of an American phrase but a plea bargain.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose the, the, like any charge, you know, the, obviously the attempted m- murder was, was brought there. But, you know, there has to be... Uh, I suppose if somebody has tried for something like that and they're they're found not guilty, they walk free. Um, where a lesser charge, you know, obviously the Quinn Quinn brothers ultimately pled guilty to a lesser charge, yeah. um, and the you know the state may judge that mm-hmm. something cannot be proven uh, beyond a reasonable doubt in a court of law. Or there's a risk that it won't be, and then somebody m- m- may not face any uh, sanction at all. So that's that's the. That's the
1: thing behind that's, it. That's the and there's lots of things it. weighed up as well. I think also just even, look, you know, even the cost of a trial, how long yeah. it'll go on for, et cetera, et cetera. All of that kind of comes into the DPP's decision making. Yeah. Um, and we're not condemning the decision no, in I any mean, way. We're just sort of explaining how an attempted murder charge reduces to assault and how somebody gets away with two and a half years instead of a possible life
0: sentence. Yeah, I mean, you see it, you see it all the time. People are you know, maybe charged with something. Made, you see cases, there was a case recently, somebody charged with murder, and that was downgraded ultimately to manslaughter, where they would plead guilty and it'd be accepted that, you know, the DPP make a decision on the charge, but the judge then yeah. makes a decision on the sentence. Um, you know, there's obviously, there's guidelines for judges as well. and They can't, you know, go beyond those, gu- those sentencing guidelines, but, you know, the DPP don't necessarily know what the sentence will be. Um, And of course the sentence was backdated to when Gavin Quinn in particular
1: first went into jail. So he had already served two years by the time he was sentenced. 45 days later, he walks out of the prison and puts a photograph up on social media of uh, him being greeted by a a female associate.
0: Yeah, so I mean, he gets a a hero's welcome as he walks out to the loving arms of his associates. Um, Then... There is, I mean, the the the. And where did that go up on social media? That went up on a on a on a, a female associates' pages. Oh, yeah. Um. So I mean, it's, it's, oh, is is was that a brazen kind of
1: two fingers? Well,
0: I mean, I think it's. So what happened was the story broke, and the G R A, you know, often don't comment on these things, but they did put out, you know, some comments on this, um, and, um then what happens is, of course, is that the the the, the stories go up. You can look through comments. Yeah. yourselves but you see there is a, a sort of a backlash from his associates saying he did his time oh. and you know all of that sort of stuff so they it's not people that you know it's a funny thing where people are not uh maybe ashamed of mm. of that association you know that they're they're you know they're defending him and and at the heart of it it really is this guard a murphy who i i
1: just think he's uh taken an amazing attitude to it. He says he's not a victim. yeah. And he wants to go forward and, and continue to do his job. I mean, I think that's amazing. He hasn't been intimidated out of his what is his passion to be a guard, to serve the community, despite this horrendous attack happening on him.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it, it, is, it is admirable. As you say, there's many people have backed away from that job when when these things happen and that's no judgment on them but you know I think there is um, it's it's I suppose it's all a little parable for for policing in, in in modern life isn't it like you know what I mean like how do we treat people that that launch these attacks and are we are we really looking at it in the longer term because that can't be it like we have obviously we talked about Holland but there's even more. And this is not to compare the Queen Brothers to this, but if you see in places like Mexico and, mm. and other countries there, where where the state have really, uh, you know, where lost control, they've lost yeah. control, and as yeah. simple as that. And to see it almost happen in Holland, and that's yeah. from said by the. Dutch officials themselves, where you become at risk of running a a narco state. Yes. And that has been said by the Dutch politicians. And that
1: it has. It's been said a number of times. And it's the first country in Europe, really, where we have seen that the murder of a a criminal lawyer who was was working with a state witness, the murder of a journalist who uh, was also sort of working with a state witness who was to give evidence against a particular individual. And there, for a period of time, the Prime Minister under secure, under 24-hour security. Yeah. Like, it's scary how quick that can happen and how one individual can tip that balance. And then all of a sudden, you have this sort of baying community, I suppose, of gangland criminals who are just more than willing to go out on the attack. And that that's really why I think messages have to be sent that this is just not acceptable and unfortunately
0: in the case of Quinn for all the various reasons we've discussed that message wasn't sent no i don't think so and i mean look it's it's not to say Gavin Quinn is responsible for turning Ireland into an anarcho state he clearly isn't personally but yeah. there there has to be maybe a look at a look at how um, you know that that how if sentencing is not the sole thing that's going to stop but you know there are there are in many other countries uh, particular Differences in sentencing for people who attack the arms of the justice system, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, hope you're not too depressed now at the no, end of I'm, all I'm, that. No, I'm
1: you? really cheery now. That's that's really kind of brought me back remembering to remembering your, your
0: good old days doorstepping yeah. people in. I know cab and houses in Sligo. Sligo and Sligo,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Back then, but um, so look, there's a lot going on. There's a lot coming up over the next couple of months. Not only. Um, are we possibly heading to the ploughing championships for a live show? I have my own show on the 20th of September in Liberty Hall.
0: Touch your doggy to the
1: ploughing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what do we talk about at the ploughing? We're going to have to talk about rural crime and criminals. We and will. What will we talk about? We'll just waffle it'll on. Be we, inter- it'll yeah, be interesting. It'll be very, very interesting. Um, that's a live show on the 21st at the ploughing. But also we have some really... Um, meaty trials and stuff coming up over the next couple of months and we're going to be really busy Um, so I suppose welcome back yourself Thank you very much Nicola You've been listening to Crime World a podcast from sundayworld.com produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me Nicola Talent. Research Assistant is Clodamini If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free Sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.
0: Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro?